Hello, friends. I am so excited for you to hear today's episode. I recorded today's episode with Allie from Conscious Family Project. Allie and I met through a business course that we both took online, and we have very similar values. I was happy to hear that she agreed to come on the show. She has a lot of knowledge and information to share on what it looks like to homeschool children that have a disability. So whether your child at home is diagnosed with a disability, or you're unsure if your child is exhibiting symptoms that might not be considered normal in today's culture, this episode is for you. I hope that it is helpful for you. Allie has so much information that she shared and I learned a ton. And anything that she shared after we finish recording, I have it all in the show notes for you today. I hope you enjoy it. Let's face it, being a homeschooling mom who also works from home can be pure chaos. As you've probably already noticed, despite the occasional laugh track, life isn't a sitcom and everyday struggles are rarely resolved in 30 minutes with commercial breaks to keep your sanity in check. So the right strategies and mindset are vital for becoming more productive and less overwhelmed with all the things life throws at us. Enter the Simply Freeing Podcast episodes for the highly passionate, busy, work-at-home, homeschooling mama ready to break away from cultural norms and raise lifelong learners. So let's kick stress to the curb, throw chaos out the door, and order in some peace and simplicity with a cup of coffee or three. Hey, Allie, how are you? I am so good and so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for, for joining. So can you briefly just share uh, a little bit about your background and what you do? Yeah, so I am a second generation homeschooler and um, I went to went to college to become a teacher because I thought I could bring some magic from homeschooling into the classroom. Um, I didn't last long there because I like to do things uh, my way a little bit. Um, and I ended up working in independent study charters here in California. Um, so I got the opportunity to start working closer with homeschooling families, which eventually over the course of a decade led to working with them more privately as well. Um, and now I am a homeschooling coach and advocate, and um, I have several courses um, about things like getting rhythms established in your home. And really, ultimately, I just love supporting homeschooling families in finding and building a homeschool that really serves them and their unique people in their home. That's wonderful. We have similar values for sure. Once you have the experience of being a classroom teacher, it makes it easier to appreciate the joy homeschooling brings. Completely agree. (laughs) So I mentioned in one of my other episodes that I do believe that we are over diagnosing our children um, in classrooms. And in my experience, that is because we want to give them more time to take the standardized test. And, you know, you can go back and listen. I I think it's episode five, but um, I, I don't like that. There's this big push to diagnose and give a child a label Mm -hmm. uh, when in many cases they actually don't need a label. So what happens when we now have children at home that that might be exhibiting symptoms of some sort of a disability, what would you recommend a parent do? Now, I know you have some children that have some struggles. So I want to just briefly talk about that. 
So I have three beautiful, wild children that I adore and are as unique as could possibly be, as we all know, right? Kids, our kids are also different. Um, my firstborn has what we call the ABC diagnoses. He's got like a bucket of diagnoses that he received um, around the age of two and had some added. So um, those include um, ASD, so autism spectrum disorder, SBD, sensory processing disorder, um, ADHD, all kinds of wonderful alphabet diagnoses. Um, and in the schooling system, um, that would indicate a lot of things. There, there would be a lot of adjustments made. His life would be very much um, run by those alphabet diagnoses. Um, but in homeschooling, we get to create a world that's very supportive of him so that those diagnoses don't impede his progress and growth in any way, shape or form, which absolutely every homeschooling parent can do. In my experience, and we kind of chatted about this beforehand. A lot of these diagnoses, testing is pushed for kiddos in the system because there is a pace and a cadence that they have to follow when they're in the system. Um, you know, teachers, we've both been teachers. We know as much as teachers love and adore their kids and want to give everything they can to their group of 30 to 40 children, um, we have to keep a pace going. And so when a kiddo is just not quite ready developmentally, which is absolutely normal, and okay, or needs to approach something in a different way, we're often, teachers are often left with no other option than to have them get a diagnosis of some sort so that they can get in the system in a way that works. So it's almost like these diagnoses are coming, like you were kind of alluding to, they're kind of coming as a way to gain the system. Um, so uh, that's a little bit about my kiddo and about what I think about that. But as far as what you can do, is that what you want to go into now or? Yeah. You know, as, as homeschoolers, we don't really have that support system. And a lot of times we're unsure, does my child have a, have a problem? Like, is there something wrong or is this just normal? And we, we don't know what normal is, you know, in as moms with kids who are just energetic and yeah. um, have difficulty focusing sometimes. So I, I just like to, to hear a little bit more about what we can do in that case. Yeah. So before I go into the how to's, um, which there are many, and I'm excited to share with you, I do just want to have the caveat of if your mama gut, your mama intuition is telling you that there is something very serious going on. It's it, you always need to reach out to your pediatrician, to your, um, you know, every state has a different program um, for kids who are having um, developmental or neurological struggles. So, um, you know, if you have this like pull and draw on your heart that there's something very serious going on, or if the things that are happening are putting your child's life in um, at risk or in, in a category where they're not living a full life, um, if they're having emotional issues or um, they're not able to, you you know, exist in the world comfortably, um, then you need to seek support. So I just want to encourage you to do that if that's your situation. However, in most cases, when I hear these kinds of questions and comments, um, we go a different route. So um, the first thing is you have to not compare your kid to other people. It's really tempting because we don't know, you know, you feel like you may not know what normal is. And I'm using air quotes there um, to look at what all the other kids in your co-op or your neighborhood or kids in the, in the public school are doing and compare your child to their progress um, and say, Oh no, we are behind. My kiddo has a problem with reading because we're not reading yet. And my neighbor is six and they're reading and they're, 
that's it. He's got dyslexia. There's something wrong here. Right. Um, but in reality, when, when people reach adulthood, um, there aren't books out there that say, okay, this is the book on what 35 year olds should be doing, right? There's no book that says, all right, you're 35. You need to sleep this much. You need to eat this much. You need to eat these foods. You need to be doing this. You need to be reading that. You need to, we don't do that into adults, but we do it to kids. And a lot of the reason I think we do it to kids is because we are trying to fit into the system where they're trying to make diverse humans fall into one single space. Um, but it's not necessary. It is completely developmentally appropriate for some kids to start reading at four and a half and five and some kids not to be ready until seven. That is okay. That is not a sign that something is wrong. It's a sign that your child's brain is developing a different portion of their brain at that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, kids cannot, cannot take on these more abstract concepts of like applying sounds to letters until their brain is physically ready for it. So no matter how how many flashcards, no matter how many minutes a day you spend on that phonics program that somebody told you always works. Um, if your child's not ready, they're not ready. And it's not an indication that something is wrong. So you have to stop the comparison game first and look at your unique, beautiful individual child who is given to you on purpose, who is here for a wonderful reason and purpose and look at them and say, okay, where is my child at? And are they growing each day? And what are they good at? Where are they struggling? And start start looking at your child as the unique human that they are. So that's the first thing because we do compare so much and that comparison causes parents to worry that there is something else going on. Um, the other thing is to educate yourself. So I always tell this story. When I was in first grade, um, I was going to a private school and my parents got called into a conference. And I was like, I was like teacher's pet love most teachers were right. <laughs> they were like the teachers that, um, always straight A student, honor roll, gifted program, blah, blah, blah. Like all of that stuff. Um, my parents get called in for a meeting, um, with my first grade teacher and everybody is there. Like the whole staff is there freaking out. Um, because I had done an entire spelling test backwards, like, like a mirror image of the spelling test backwards. I didn't remember doing it. I had no idea I had done it. And everybody panicked. Now I'd never done anything like that before. I was progressing well in all of my other studies, but for whatever reason, they use that as a trigger. Something's wrong. Right. And I've seen so many parents do this. Their kids will be six or seven and they start writing something backwards and they're like, dyslexia. Oh my gosh, we have to do something. Um, when in actuality, I was just bored. I was bored in that school. I was bored at that moment. Um, it's, it's totally normal um, for kids to write backwards every once in a while. So before you freak out, educate yourself. If you are really concerned about ADHD, about ASD, SBD, any of those, those diagnoses, get some information, get quality information, grab a book, start reading, um, you know, reading about them and get really clear about what those signs are. Because a lot of people have images in their head of what autism looks like. Like of what um, ADHD looks like. And um, most of the times with love and, and honor and respect in my heart, I tell you, you're wrong. The image that you have is not accurate. So stop comparing, get quality information. Um, those are the first two places to go if you really are feeling um, worried. Um, but then we really just need to focus on our kids' strengths and who they are and make sure they're growing every day. And so... Um, you know, some of the ways to do that. Well, I'm sorry. Am I, am I getting ahead no, here? 
no, that's good. And, and I just wanted to, to say about the comparison that Mm -hmm. that is something that we even do as moms with each other and with, you know, with homeschooling and and this person is doing school this many hours and they're going to this co-op and their kids look like they're having such a great time. And, you know, we're, our social media is influencing how we view our homeschool when it's really just a glimpse of life, seconds of life. An Instagram story can bring a mom down and feel like they're not doing enough. And mm-hmm. there's just so much comparison in general. So when it comes to something like this, which which is a lot more serious, when you think your child might be having a problem and you're not actually doing research on it and you're just worrying and you're stuck Mm -hmm. in that worried place. And I know a lot of people that don't like to Google things because they know that it's going to cause them to have like anxiety over it. And um, so I think as a teacher, you know, professional development is important. And I I guess as an immature 20 year olds, I never really like understood why I had to keep as, you know, having the classroom, doing all the things. And then I had to go take more classes on top of that. In New York state, we were, we were required to do a certain number of professional development hours to learn more. And, but it really is important for us as moms, homeschooling moms to have that, to learn more about what we're doing. Um, And I think it helps us to just get to a a place of better confidence too, um, learning from the right sources about the things that we're not sure about. So absolutely. I'd be happy to send you a list of resources for families to go to for this information, if that's helpful to your audience. Yeah. Um, Maybe in the show notes or something, there are some really great, great and digestible resources out there um, to give parents a good idea of what, what symptoms you do want to be paying attention to. Mm -hmm. Um, But even if your child does have ADHD or ADD or, you know, dyslexia, there's a lot that parents can do in their homeschool just with their pacing and how they present, um, sorry, how they present lessons um, to support their kiddo. Because a lot of, um, I don't know if you remember this from IEPs, but a lot of what we um, put in IEPs for students. So an IEP is like a um, a special contract of, of what the teachers and what the school will do to support a child who has a diagnosis. Um, it's called an individualized education, education plan. plan. Yes. Um, you know, a lot of what they put in there is really related to the classroom and the function of being in school, like due dates, time restrictions, things like that, that really have no relevance. Uh, <laughs> they're not, they're not relevant at home. Um, and so a lot of the things that, that that teachers do, um, they're not, they're not industry secrets. There's so much that families can do to help their kiddos. So, um, you know, if focus is a problem, um, there's actually focus, focus being a problem is kind of a relative thing because you need to look at your child's age, their energy level. I highly recommend that before you ever do table work, you move their bodies. Like they, they give them an opportunity to move. If you have a kiddo who really struggles with focus, move to the point of sweating before you sit down to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, you really, they, you know, their needs, your Maslow hierarchy of needs must be taken care of before you can work on cognitive things. Um, so if you have focus in any way, shape or form, 
issues. Um, moving beforehand is important. And if you have a weather situation, things like go noodle, um, cosmic kids yoga, there's so many ways to help them move their bodies before school. And then you can move your body during school too. You know, we don't have to sit in a chair. There's no rule, no law in the world that says you learn better sitting in a chair. Um, that's one of those de-schooling things we have. So if you're spending a lot of your energy at the table, having your child, correcting your child's posture or bringing them back to the table, bringing them back to sitting down. Um, and that's where you're concerned about focus. My challenge to you would be to say, what is the benefit of forcing them to sit in a chair? A lot of um, workplaces are moving to standing desks and, you know, laptops so people can move about the building. Um, There is nothing, there is nothing about sitting in a chair that helps your child learn. Now, some children learn better sitting in a chair and those children choose to sit in a chair. Um, But if your child is moving about the room, pick up that math book, pick up your read aloud and follow them. Go sit in the, sit on the couch and let them roll on a yoga ball in the middle of the floor. There is no problem with that. As long as they can tell you and, um, you know, tell you what the answer is to the question and they are able to show you that they've listened and they've heard, um, then who cares if they're spinning around dancing? Now, a lot of the times that's more of an issue for a parent, right? The parents are feeling stressed about it or it makes them feel distracted. Um, And before we're so ready to put a diagnosis on a child, because we're uncomfortable with that movement, we really need to take some time as parents ourselves and say, okay, but what is going to support my child's growth best? Mm-hmm. And sometimes that means we need to grow as parents. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of that too would be like the discipline aspect. Like we have this, this image of our classroom and, mm-hmm. you know, even in movies and shows, the kids are sitting. And even if you've never been a teacher yourself, we just have this picture of what school looks like. And mm-hmm. then it becomes almost like a battle, like, well, my child's not respecting me there, you know, and it becomes a disciplinary issue when, you know, you can still kind of get out of that if you talk with them and let them know, okay, we're going to be doing things a little bit differently, you know, because I feel like a lot of times parents are, they're frustrated with their children. They're telling them they have to do X, Y, Z. They have to sit and do this math page. Mm -hmm. And then they realize this isn't working, but then it's like, but I'm the one in charge. Why are they over there? You know, why are they over on the other side of the room? I'm in charge. You can talk to your kids and explain that it's, it's okay. We're going to do things a little bit differently now. And then, it, then you kind of take away the pressure of you not being the, um, the person in charge. And I think that that's a lot of times becomes the struggle with parents. They don't, they don't want to look like they're not in charge. They don't want to release that, you know? Yeah. Well, and I'll bet those parents are listening to me talk about a child bouncing around the room and think my house has no discipline whatsoever. Um, that's kind of the image we have, but here's the thing that I realized is that, um, you know, I'll, I'll tell another story if we have time, but I, um, my son, um, it was time for a math test at the end of his unit in our homeschooling curriculum. And we, it was a beautiful day outside. So we were sitting outside doing our school on a picnic blanket. You guys, I highly recommend if anybody's having bad mood or anything like that, head outside if you can for school, it helps so much. Um, but he was riding his bike and it was time for the test. And I was like, um, okay, time for the test, time to come sit down. And he said, well, can I just answer the questions from here and have you write them for me? Um, I write for him 
probably 50 50 because fine motor development is a little slower and I know he's practicing that, but I never want that to stop him from growing in other academic subjects. So unless we're focused on handwriting in that moment, I'm happy to write for him if, because my, my purpose is for him to grow academically in that subject area. And so, um, I, my first instinct was like, you can't ride a bike while we're doing a test. That is not how tests work. Tests need to be sitting and quiet and painful. Right. Um, and I immediately in my head, I was like, well, wait a minute. No, that's not true. My purpose in this test right now is to make sure that he has fully grasped all the concepts we've covered in the last 10 weeks. So why can't he do that while he's riding his bike? So I said to him, sure, we can do that as long as you are able to answer the questions, you know, and it's the same with anything. If we have fidgets, like those little toys, um, which can help with focus. If he's using his wobble seat, if we're using the yoga ball, as long as those are all being used as tools to move us closer to the goal that we have set, that's the boundary. Once it becomes a toy and he's not meeting the goal that we are currently focusing on, um, then it stopped. So we still have discipline. We still have rules. And I will say he was riding his bike and he got 100% on the first 30 math problems. And then the last one, he answered something that I knew was like way off. Like he knew the answer to this and it was something way off. And I was like, okay, you need to stop, get off your bike, stand there for a moment. I'm going to ask you this question one more time. And he was like, oh, sorry, I was trying to hop this thing. Right. And he wasn't paying attention. So we did have to stop um, and do that. And he, and I was able to point out to him, you know, once you've shifted your focus, like if it's a mindless activity of, of riding your bike, that's helping you focus. Great. But when you've shifted your focus, it's not serving you anymore. So he's learning how to use all of these things as tools. Um, and we have very clear boundaries that this is what we're focused on right now. And you can use any of these tools into your, your, whatever's going to help support you in that goal. But once you are using them as a toy and you're not working towards that goal, then we have to stop. So you can still have boundaries, um, and still have discipline. Um, but you have to think about what the actual goal is because it's so easy for us as parents to do exactly what you said and shift the goal to control, right? If I control this situation enough, if I control their body, control what they say, control how they hold their pencil, if I control enough, then the other stuff will come, but that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to look at it and say, okay, what is the goal in this moment right now? Is my goal for my child to learn how to sit in a chair or is my goal for them to learn how to read this paragraph? What is going to help you get to that goal? So being really, really clear about what it is you're, you're working on in that moment helps you not to go down that control path, um, which does not move you as a parent or your child closer to your goal. You can control your kids all day long, but it doesn't mean they're going to learn. Yes. This is so, so good. So much helpful information. And definitely if, if, if you send me a list of the resources that you have, that would be so, so helpful. Um, I would be happy to do it's trial and error learning on this side when I was looking for resources as a mama too. So I am happy to share that. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Is there anything else? Um, I'm trying to make sure we covered everything. Is there anything else 
that you well, I would say there's a lot of like small things that you can be doing as far as like types of paper you're using and, you know, putting stickers on, on pieces of paper so that they know direction. Like there's so many things you can do having checklists, visual checklists. So please just do the research. And if you have figured out, or you're sure your kiddo is struggling in the area of something like executive functioning, head to Pinterest. You'd be shocked to see, um, how many teachers are going to Pinterest to see, you know, type in, how can I help my kiddo write with executive functioning issues. And there's all kinds of really easy, simple, cheap ways to support these kids. So um, I know the Google trap can be crazy, but once you've identified something, please head there and look for those really simple resources. There's so many cool things you can do. That's great. Thank you. Um, Ken, where can we find you? Um, Let us know what your website is, social media. So my website is aliadarechung.com. Um, and then you can find me on Instagram and um, I'm mostly on Instagram at Conscious Family Project. Um, I also have a podcast by the same name um, and I'm on Clubhouse on um, as aliadarechung as well. So I would love to connect with anybody who um, has more questions in this area. Great. Thank you very much. It was so, so good to have this conversation. I, I learned a lot and I, uh, I know that this is such a valuable topic for so many moms that are unsure. And I hope that this was helpful for them too. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you and all of the encouragement and support you're offering these wonder, wonderful, wonderful families. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. This has been an episode of a Simply Freeing podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes drop. Let's connect on Instagram at whole9family, W-H-O-L-E, the number nine, family. If you take a screenshot of today's episode and share it in your stories, tag me so that I can thank you. 